Welcome back to the Fast Break, episode 111. And today we're going to be doing our final March Madness recap. Last night, the Baylor Bears defeated the Gonzaga Bulldogs uh, by 16 points in the championship. It was never really close. Uh, so we have to go over the championship game, Final Four and Elite Eight. But uh, Aaron, I want to hear your overall thoughts on this year's tournament. I think it's been great. I've, I've never been a huge college basketball fan. I've always been NBA over college basketball. And I've never really watched a ton of uh, college games. Even this season, I mean, I didn't watch any games coming into March Madness. And even the NBA, I, I really the past two years started getting to actually uh, tune into the games at, at the end of the days and then really started getting into watching them. And then March Madness, I mean, it, it's been really fun. I've, I've gotten to no, uh, it's just fun to look at all these games and uh, actually learn about some of the players. And uh, I, I started with comparing it to the NBA draft and then was really just to look at all these um, different storylines. And I think it was a really good tournament. Yeah, completely agree. A lot of upsets, like we mentioned a few weeks ago. And uh, that Gonzaga-UCLA game Saturday night is uh, definitely an all-time classic. So uh, I think what my takeaway from last night uh, in particular is that uh, from the beginning of the year, I thought Baylor was the most talented team. I think Gonzaga at points might have played better as a group, but Baylor was uh, just much more athletic. They they seemed better prepared, more uh, more aggressive, and that game was never really close last night. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing I want to mention first is I think we rarely get the two best teams in the championship. And I've, I have a little trivia for you because I, I saw this and I wanted to – I thought it was interesting – so the, the AP poll comes out and it ranks the teams overall. And the last, and this year, Gonzaga was, Gonzaga was number one coming in and Baylor was number two coming into the tournament. And the last time the two top ranked AP poll teams made it um, to the championship was 2005. Do, do you know what those teams were? It was North Carolina against Illinois. That was correct. And uh, Baylor and Gonzaga were also preseason one and two. Five times this has happened, and the two team has literally always won every single all the five times. Uh, preseason rankings the one and two made it, two has always won, and so I think it's I mean, this is an, a historic game. Um, obviously, Gonzaga trying to go for the undefeated uh, season for the first time in 40 years or so. So, uh, it, I mean, it was a great game, but really, Baylor came out very dom dominant. I think that 11 uh, 1 run and then 16 4 run to start. Uh, it was 11-1 and 16-4, some of the first scores of the game. And they, they just came out of the gate uh, much stronger, more athletic. Gonzaga wasn't physical. I, 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 I'm not going to say UCLA would have given them a better game, but Gonzaga just could not keep up with uh, athletically. Um, I, it was very physical, and uh, Baylor just played a lot better. Yeah, a lot of the storylines and headlines coming into this one. Gonzaga going for undefeated. And uh, I agree. We definitely we definitely got the two best teams. They were supposed to play December 5th in Indianapolis, but Baylor had a COVID pause. Um, I think some, some people are saying, oh, it was crazy upset. It's a shocker. Everybody thought Gonzaga was going to win. Um, but that's, I, I thought Baylor would, get, would win coming into the game. Uh, I, I thought before my tournament, if they ended up playing, I thought Baylor would win the game. Um, and what people don't understand is uh, Gonzaga, I think they might have got shut down by COVID once, but Baylor had two or three pauses. And their latest one, they really struggled for a, few, a week or two afterwards. And I think if they didn't have that pause, they could have been undefeated as well. So uh, Baylor, people are saying in Zag, if they were the ones to be one of the best teams ever. I think uh, Baylor, if you exclude maybe that week span, this is one of the, the greatest teams of the past 10, 15 years. 
You said exactly what I was going to say next. Uh, Baylor had 21 days missed due of COVID where they were on pause. They couldn't practice, do anything. I think they could have been an undefeated team. I'm not sure exactly who their losses were. They had two losses, but they played great. I mean, this Gonzaga team is lo- – I mean, uh, 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 Nick's over here saying this is the best uh, college basketball team he's ever seen. Um, I don't know how this loss – changes how we look back at this Gonzaga team. I mean, it's one loss. They had a great season previously. I mean, their their closest game going to that UCLA matchup was to BYU, and, and they won by double digits. So I think they've had a, a great season. I'm not sure how this changes their outlook in the future. I mean, this is a team that I think people still look back on, and after we go for the Final Four and Elite Eight a little. I mean, we can talk about that shot that will certainly be going around for a long time. So it's a memorable season. But uh, I mean, I, you you said that you did think Baylor was going to win going into this. Was this maybe based on their Final Four performance? Uh, I want to add a little bit more on Gonzaga, but uh, I didn't. The game against Houston for Baylor didn't really change it. I didn't. Houston wasn't great. We obviously knew that they didn't play a single uh, single digit seed coming into the Final Four. Played a 15, 10, 11, 12. Um, I, I do think the magnitude in which Gonzaga lost last night, uh, the game was never close. That could change their legacy because the data was all year. Oh, they play in a weak conference. Um, they don't have a bunch. Suggs is really their own. Kispert is a good prospect. They don't. They're not the most athletic team. There are a bunch of doubters and, and naysayers for them. And I, I think if this team won that game, thirty-two and zero, they're definitely up there as one of the best teams of all time. But uh, watching them play recently, they they definitely have some weaknesses that other teams we can look at, like the Kentucky team that lost to Wisconsin. They didn't really have a weakness. They just got beat that night. Uh, Gonzaga definitely had some holes that were exploited these past few days. Um, and like I said, never being close, being down double digits the whole game, that could change how people look back and see them. Um, but uh, I, I think if we want to talk about – you want to talk about the semifinal of the Elite Eight first. I want to talk real quick about something you said. You talked about them having prospects, and I think Corey Kisper, I mean, he he was one of the players that had the potential to pull them back. I think he's a player that when they were down 10, he could have gone on a run. And uh, we mentioned today that, I mean, the NBA is a lot more, I think one thing it might have in favor, it, it, it is a physical game. And uh, I, I don't know if this really hurt Kispert. I know Davion Mitchell of Baylor, I think I've seen him around in mock drafts, and he's definitely um, a defensive player. But uh, we, we can go back to them. I, I just wanted to say that th- this Gonzaga team, we mentioned what their weaknesses is. And, yes, it was maybe them not being physical, but also that they couldn't completely switch the way they played. They maybe – I mean, they were trying to run a zone for a little bit, but they have those five guys who play, and that's really all they play. They played a couple subs for a little bit, but really they just have those starters, and they don't really uh, go into their bench a lot. So when a player is not working or when something's not working right or if someone is in foul trouble – um, they didn't really have a backup, and they've never really had to play down, so it was just something they were not really used to. Yeah, Baylor's style of play, uh, very unique. Um, they defensively, they're very, they were, they're very good. I think top forty, top thirty in the country, and they, they switch every every screen. Um, and Gonzaga just, they they both play unique styles. I think the the way how fast paced and physical Baylor plays. I mean, they had, I think. Was it Mark Vital? Maybe eight offensive rebounds last night. Just Baylor crashed the glass. Every important facet of the game, when you look and say, "Oh, an aspect," I think that that could be a that was that was probably what would turn the game. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, going into it, Gonzaga was favored, but it was not as close as people uh, seemed. I mean, we can go back talking. You can choose whether we start with the Final Four or Elite Eight. But I, I mentioned that uh, Baylor's dominant win could have changed how you look. But also Gonzaga having their closest game of the season, a really great Final Four matchup, but didn't play amazing to that their standard. It, it kind of – I mean, going into it, everyone – Almost everyone was picking. I don't know if they're the most picked title team ever. I, I I actually doubt that. I'm sure there's been other dominant teams that I'm just not well tuned into. But it seemed like really everyone was picking Gonzaga. And after they had a real test to this UCLA team, um, that's when people's opinions, I think, maybe tried to change a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's start in the elite eight. I guess is that good for you? Fine by me. All right. So. Um... I guess the Gonzaga USC game was never really close. They they were able to shut down Evan Mobley and the athleticism of USC, which um, athleticism of UCLA and Baylor was what came back to bite them. So they won that game by twenty, but not much to talk about. Any thoughts on that one? Not really. I, I we were maybe trying to see the Evan Mobley Drew Timmy matchup. USC had the potential to actually have some good defense, but we really learned in the next round. You can't beat Gonzaga with amazing defense. Actually, the, both in the next rounds, you have to try to beat them with offense. And so their game plan was all, oh, stop them from scoring. And it just really wasn't that close. Um, but in general, my thoughts about this Elite Eight that I just wanted to get out there. Um, none of these games were supposed to be very close. We had a two seed versus and uh, oh, what was Oregon State? Were they a 12 seed? And then we had... Uh, Baylor, Arkansas, where it was a, it was a close C difference, but Baylor was favored uh, by, by a uh, larger margin than some might expect. And then obviously uh, Gonzaga, they, they've been favored by a lot in all their games. And then this Michigan UCLA team uh, game. I mean, we're going to talk about each of these games individual individually, but you have to think all these teams had clear favorites. And with a tournament that had the most technical upsets ever, um, a five seed or difference or more, we still had three one seeds in this elite eight. Um, so we still had some dominant teams that were definitely favored. Yeah. The Houston, Oregon state game, this and we'll talk about uh, it looked like this game wasn't going to be close in the first half. I think Houston got up 15 plus and Oregon state. Uh, I think they, they ended up tying it and then Houston pulled away. I mean, this, this might outside of UCLA Michigan, this is probably the closest game, but it's, it never felt like it was ever in doubt for Houston. I, I had a feeling they were going to win it the whole way. Um, and I think some of the, the, the questionable shot taking and shot selection uh, kind of hurt them a little bit in the, when they lost their lead. But uh, overall, I, I didn't see them losing that game at any point during it. Well, I mentioned uh, or in the past, I actually predicted Oregon State being Tennessee, but I certainly didn't see them going to this point. Uh, Houston had the highest uh, win percentage or highest uh, favorite or they, they were the highly most favorited team going to this game uh they were they were really expected to win and it, it, it was closer if you look at it but you're, you're right um similar to the Arkansas Baylor game I never felt like uh Baylor or Houston in this case really uh felt like they were ever going to lose it was really controlled but I mean Houston I, I I'm not sure I mean they, they played only double digit teams to get to the lead eight uh or get even to get to the final four I mean and they're the first team to ever do that. But I believe they only played one ranked team in the regular season as well. So uh, I, they were top 15 and top fifth or top 15 offensive efficiency and top 15 defensive efficiency. I can't tell you what those numbers mean, but they had um, it, they looked great coming into it. 
but uh, their strength of schedule wasn't uh, amazing. We kind of saw that going to the next round, but um, both the Oregon State Houston and the Arkansas Baylor game, I kind of cut into that game as well, but they weren't super close in my opinion. Yeah, Arkansas Baylor was a pretty good game. Uh, uh, I think Baylor, again, was able to exploit some of Arkansas's weaknesses, and that's why uh, typically the best teams are very talented, but they also game plan well and are able to, to shut down the other team. And uh, Baylor did lead for most of this one as well. Macy Oteague, uh, he was probably their best player at the end of the uh, end in these last three or four games. But Jared Butler played played pretty good as well. And uh, I just think the defense holding Arkansas to 72 points may seem like giving up a lot, but uh, Arkansas is a team that scores a ton of points. I think Baylor executed flawlessly in that one. Yeah, I mean, Baylor is the number one three-point percentage shooting team. I cannot talk today. Um, they, they were the – they had the highest three-point percentage in all of college basketball. So, incredible offense, obviously. But their defense is also crazy. I mean, Davion Mitchell, uh, defensive college player of the year. I, I don't know what that award is called. He, he, he won that. He's really great. And you mentioned Macy Oteague, uh, as well as Jared Butler, uh, both just great offensive players. Um, I haven't uh, – been as on top of the draft recently, but I'm sure Jared Butler is a projected uh, first round pick. So yes, this, this Baylor team, they, they can play many styles and they also really lock down this uh, Arkansas team. Yep. All right. Michigan UCLA, the best game of the elite, eight, very low scoring. Michigan had a couple of chances to win it at the end, but Johnny Juzang scoring about 60% of UCLA's points was enough to get the Bruins into the final four. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, Johnny Juzing, he came out of the gate uh, 14 of UCLA's first 16 points. Really, Michigan's game plan, I thought, would be on him, but he just was uh, really great in, in, at the start of this game. And UCLA, I do think, got lucky. They didn't have to score a ton. Uh, then the next game, I mean, they were scoring past 90 overtime game, but uh, UCLA, they didn't have to score a lot in this game, and they were able to win and it was at this point where I really realized, like, this was a first four team. They were down 14 points to Michigan State in the first four. Uh, people call it a play-in round. Like, this was a team no one expected. And they just, I mean, they, they played it. They played a really solid game. Yeah, all right. Let's go to the final four now. We'll stick on the, uh, we'll stick with UCLA because uh, this is one of the best, best basketball games I've seen in a long time, probably since uh, the, the Virginia – the Virginia Texas Tech championship and Villanova North Carolina championship, uh, Purdue Virginia in the Elite Eight, Tennessee Purdue. There been a lot of good games, but this one might top the list out of all of them. Just uh, an all-time classic. They went back and forth. Uh, every time you thought UCLA can't keep doing it, they hit more threes and more mid-range jumpers. Uh, I thought their only chance coming into this would be to make it a low-scoring game, and both teams got into the 90s. And uh, if this game went in a double overtime, it would have been even more. But uh, that, that shot by Jalen Suggs will probably go up there as one of the top five college basketball shots of all time. Uh, you, you said both of the things that I wanted to say going into this. Two things that I saw coming out. Uh, the best national semifinal ever and a top five shot ever. Um, do you agree with one, both, or neither of those takes? I agree with both. I can't think of any semifinal that's um, been a better game. The, the Wisconsin-Kentucky game might be more memorable just, just because that Kentucky team – seems so perfect and maybe it would have been on the same same level but this is definitely the the most cl uh, classic fun to watch heartbreaking for UCLA it was a it was a great game yeah I mean this was way closer than anyone expected 
Gonzaga was the biggest Final Four favorite since 1985. So it's been, what, 35 uh, Yes, 35-ish years since a team has been favored as much as Gonzaga was. Uh, this was the first overtime Final Four in 23 years, which really amazed me. I mean, there's been, what, I don't know, 50 games since then, and this is the first overtime Final Four. Uh, there was never more than a 6-0 run by either team, 19 lead changes. Uh, 43 and a half of the 45 minutes were within two points, which is just incredible. I mean, these numbers coming out here, it, it's just, as, as you mentioned, it's a really classic game, and that shot for sure, I mean, the thing that strikes me, I mean, it, it, that Gordon Hayward, uh, he, I, I, I've definitely, I, I, I didn't watch that game, but it's a shot that goes around as a, a what if, just a great shot. The thing about that is he's just heaving that shot off on a prayer. Suggs got a legit shot, like on his normal shooting form. I don't know, 37 ish feet. This is a shot players like NBA players like Damian Lillard or Stephen Curry will even shoot occasionally in game. Like this is a little bit above the logo and Suggs, I mean, he, he wasn't heaving it. He pulled up. He, he got a great shot, and it's it's going to go down as a really, really uh, memorable one. Yeah, the thing about it, it was really uncontested, too, because uh, all the UCLA players after Juzang tied the game, they all ran back to about the three-point line, and I, I think it might have been Cody Riley had a hand somewhat near uh, Jalen Suggs, but by the time he went up, it was uncontested. And even you can't give a guy that good a, a, a good look from 35 feet because he's got a good chance of knocking it down. Um, it, it looked good off his hand when you look at the, the camera angle from behind him. He, it looked, it was straight on all the way. Um, but uh, this happened to Mick Cronenstein before when he was at Cincinnati. They, they hit a three to take the lead against UConn. And uh, this was more of a, a prayer, a three-quarter court shot, but they didn't guard anybody. And UConn knocked in a, a, a long-distance shot and won the game. So uh, we've seen this happen before. It was just unfortunate. Uh, the thing I want to add about that game was just the, the, the shot-making was incredible. Anytime either team needed to make a shot, whether for Gonzaga, it was Timmy, Kispert, Suggs, or UCLA, Cody Riley knocking down shots, uh, Juzang, uh, uh, Tiger Campbell, all of them, they were just – it was incredible shot making. Every big-time every big time shot seemed to fall. Yeah, Jaime Hawkins, too. Um, the, the, a double-digit seed has never made the championship, I don't think. Uh, one other has made the Final Four, I believe. Uh, only one – two. All right. Um, and so – this, I mean, this is this was a game for the ages, and it it was it was crazy. Something I noticed, um, in overtime, neither team really called timeouts. Gonzaga seemed to pull ahead at the start of overtime. One of the very few 6-0 runs both team had both teams had one at one point, and I thought they were gonna pull ahead, it, similar to the UCLA Alabama one, um, where UCLA was actually the team that pulled ahead, um, but they didn't use timeouts. And another thing. They didn't call timeouts as a strategy because of this uh, advancing the ball rule that you have mentioned before uh, previously last episode, that they weren't using that as a strategy. And also the coaches just trusted their players in this very high pressure scenario. And so it was really down to the wire and we were able to watch pretty much all five minutes uninterrupted. Yeah. UCLA did call a timeout at one point in their last one with about 50 seconds left down by five. I guess you're right. Yeah, you're right. And people were questioning why Mick Cronin called it so early, but that was a must-score possession. I think Jaime Hawkins got a got a good look at a three and knocked it down. Um, so it was a good timeout. And uh, I think if in in uh, regulation they might have no, they didn't call one then either. I think they should have in the end of regulation because uh, when Juzang got called for the charge, I think if they set up a set, that's when they could have won the game. 
But uh, yeah, you're you're right. It was fun to see the end of the game just without it being interrupted. And uh, Gonzaga did have a timeout, and I I'm guessing if we had the advance the ball rule, that Jalen Suggs shot never would have happened. Yeah, uh, UCLA did show a lot of poise though. Uh, they've had three overtime tournament games, if I'm right, at Michigan State, Alabama, and then this one now. Um, crazy how that happens. This statistic I saw, I, I've just been sharing a lot of numbers because I, I, I'm not always the best at basketball analysis, but seven of their 32 games all season went to overtime. I mean, that's, that's just crazy how many times that they've had this experience. And we talked today a little bit about Johnny Juzang getting drafted. I, I took a peek around some of the mock drafts. A lot of them either haven't updated or don't even have him getting drafted. So I don't know what this lottery talk that Nick is giving us. Um, we've mentioned him a couple of times. I guess that's just completely out of the conversation. I assumed he was maybe in early second or late first just by uh, my intuition, but Either he's just not even on the board yet, or really this uh, even this run really hasn't improved his stock that much. Yeah, one last thing I want to add. I don't think he's leaving is the thing. If he were, I bet he would get drafted just because of the great tournament run. But uh, some media outlets and, and reports have been starting to release their way too early top twenty-five, and uh, UCLA is number one, and probably the good majority of them because they're bringing everybody back from that team for the most part, I, and they expect they'll get some transfers and they have some good recruits coming in. So. Uh, all, I'd say Houston probably out of the four is the least chance, but Baylor, Gonzaga, and UCLA will be three of the best teams in the country once again next year. Well, UCLA has always been a blue blood or whatever in the past. I mean, they're just one of these classic college basketball teams, and uh, they were not um, amazing this year. Uh, I forget, uh, Deshaun Nix, uh, I believe he was recruited to UCLA, decided to play for the G League Ignite um, team. And they, I mean, I see them looking as, you know, number one, number two, number three, top three uh, team to be ranked or preseason next year. I mean, it's it's all due to this uh, March Madness run, but it's crazy how a team that was 11 seed play-in team now is being looked at uh, top five team going to next year's season, depending on who comes back, of course just simply due to uh, a couple of their players or really this whole team that's really been incredible. Um, just a crazy jump to put them back into this conversation as one of the great college basketball schools. Obviously, Mick Cronin, um, how long ago was he hired? Two or three years, maybe? Two years ago. Yeah, and so uh, all of a sudden, they're just back into the conversation and uh, really amazing run. Yep, they haven't been great. This was their first Final Four in, I think, 12 or 13 years, and uh, Mick Cronin's got them back. They'll be a, a force to be reckoned with, probably back uh, on the national stage for a long time to come. Uh, I think that's all we got for today. Anything else to add? Nope. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.